Genesis in the chapter 18 this morning, the book of Genesis in the chapter 18. We enter into the chapter to verse 17. Word of God says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city, Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes." And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. He spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. He said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall be thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left, communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Ending our reading there at the verse 33. Last week, of course, we began a series on Teach Us to Pray. And as we came to consider that, at the outset, we considered a message on the omega of prayer, that being the last recorded prayer we find in Scripture. Today, then, we come to the Alpha of prayers recorded in the Bible. The very first of prayers as we come to them in the scriptural record as we find it here in Genesis and the chapter 18. Now, undoubtedly, before this, there has been recorded dialogue between God and man. We see it, of course, in the examples that we find between God and Adam, between God and Cain, and even here, between God and this man, Abraham, we see re recorded dialogue in chapters 15 and 17. But here in chapter 18, we see what I submit to you is the first example of a dialogue initiated by man. 
That's found for us there in the verse 23. Abraham drew near. Oh yes, a conversation had been uh, held in previous moments before all of this, but as a result of all that has transpired in that day, the Bible records very specifically those words, Abraham drew near and said. So I submit to you that here we see the first example of a dialogue between man and God that was initiated by man himself. Now, we know in this chapter that God has come to Abraham. The Lord has appeared to him in the plains of Mamre, and Abraham has played the host. And thus, as the day has progressed, God and his two angels get up to leave. And as he begins to leave, the Lord draws aside and reveals unto Abraham that which is about to unfold in the cities of the plain. So we see recorded in Scripture the first instance of a man before God. The Bible tells us there at the end of verse 22, Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Then we see, as we have noted in verse 23, a man drawing near to God. This is then, I believe, the beginning of the scriptural record of what you and I identify as prayer. Dialogue between God and man, initiated by man. As we come to consider this prayer this morning, I want us to note the purpose of the prayer. The purpose of the prayer. We won't get through this message in its entirety today, all the considerations we could draw from this chapter. And that remember, we're on a journey. A journey that we're seeking will land us all at the same destination of more consistently and more ably being able to enter into that secret place of seeing a difference made in our prayer lives. And so we're not going to rush through that which we come to consider in this account. We're going to step through it. We pray that the Lord will bless us and help us even in our considerations on this matter. Coming then to consider the purpose of prayer We do well to note at the outset of this point that two of the strongest emotions that rage in all of our breasts are the emotions of guilt and fear. Alone or indeed together, they are able to produce a response in the hardest of hearts, the coldest of attitudes, or even the deadest of personalities. In a spiritual sense, they are mostly not always, but mostly negative emotions. This is because they are emotions which do not produce responses grounded in reality, nor indeed the kind of responses that have the ability to remain no matter what comes or goes. And so as we come to consider this uh, account this morning, we do well to note that there could be a response seen in us through the preaching of this message today, and indeed in the weeks to come, that produces one or either, or perhaps even both, of these emotions within. If that is the case, then I failed in my task. Nothing we come to consider today is meant to shock you, nor indeed is it intended to send you on a guilt trip. Rather, all we come to consider today and in the days to come is something which should inspire us in the place of prayer. 
and renew a desire and an appetite to pray on and to pray often. We're coming to consider the Alpha of prayer. We come to consider a prayer which had a purpose, a prayer motivated by all the right reasons, and a prayer which God granted despite what may be our immediate understanding of all that unfolds. In verse 17, it begins really, as we come to consider the purpose of this prayer, begins with God saying, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? And think in your mind's eye of all the characters who are in view here. Abraham has got up from the tent and from the table and went on a little bit on a journey with the Lord and his two angels. And so undoubtedly, as these words are being said, as they're recorded in Scripture, as God is revealing his heart and his mind, Abraham is there. The two angels are there. But the Lord's not addressing any of these characters. He's addressing us, the reader. He's helping us to understand his heart in all of this. How even this account plays out, how that his heart is unfolded and now shared to this man, Abraham. He says, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And then he goes on to say in the verse 20, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And so revealing to Abraham that which he intends to do, he reveals a plan of judgment. The sin that was being transacted in these cities, the sins that the men and women and the boys and girls were involved in in these cities, that sin had come up as a great cry unto God. And according to His holiness and according to His justice, He was now duty-bound to respond. His response was going to be to go down to assess all that was unfolding, then to enact the righteous judgment upon it. We as believers must be clear in our understanding that this was but the justice of a holy God at work. As unpalatable as it may be to us, it is but clear evidence of how serious sin is in the eyes of God and how it leaves the sinner without excuse. What was to be Abraham's response? God has said all that's upon his heart, all that is his intention to do. What was to be Abraham's response in the moment? Panic? Heroism? He had rode to the rescue of Lot once before. Perhaps he could do so again. Perhaps it was anger. Was that which was stirred within? I must confess that any or all of those emotions would have been my response in that moment. But not this man of God. Not the one who Scripture records as being the friend of God. For having heard a summary of all that was in the heart of God to do, the Bible says he stood yet before the Lord, he drew near, and he prayed. 
exhibiting a boldness and a confidence before God, which was before its time. Abraham laid a hold upon God and did what only he could do in that moment. But also he did only what he could do in that moment. For as we behold all that is recorded in verses 17 through 22, we identify no doubt a need to pray. But I also submit to you that I identify an obligation to pray. And so he drew near. And so he prayed. You know, as you and I come to this this morning, we come with a completed revelation of Scripture. Abraham's on this journey as we behold him in receipt of only that which God had revealed to him. But you and I come today with the completed record of God's will. The completed record of God's plan for the ages, and we know that that which He has given in His Word, that His program for the ages contains information relevant to the redeemed, but also information relevant to the sinner. The Lord put it this way in John's, John's Gospel, chapter 15, in the verse 15, He said, Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. So Christ himself is telling his followers, he's telling those who would be his disciples, he's telling you and I that that which is contained in his word is that which he has received from God himself. So this morning we come and we rejoice that as the redeemed, he says to us in John, uh, John's gospel in the chapter 14 and the verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will doubtless come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And oh, our hearts are warmed. And our hearts are encouraged and our hearts rejoice that one day we know the sure and certain hope of the reality that we will be face to face with the Lord, that we will be at home with Him. No, that's in keeping with what God patterns here in Genesis in the chapter 18. For as he sits down at the table of Abraham, he reveals to Abraham once more a sure and certain future for him. He has come to remind him of the promise that he has made to give him an heir. And yes, whilst it may seem improbable, perhaps even impossible, being the age that he is, being the age that his wife is, nevertheless, the Lord reaffirms it and he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And so God's plan, as he's revealed it to Abraham in this moment, is a plan of hope, a plan of promise. And as you and I come together today, remember the omega of prayer that we, rem we looked at last week where it said, even so, come, Lord Jesus, because there is a hope within us. There's a desire that we express in prayer that God would come, that consummation would be known, that you and I would be with the Lord forever, which is far better.
we must also read a little farther in the story. For just as it unfolds in the days of Abraham, so too we know it unfolds in the Word of God. That yes, whilst there was great hope communicated through the message that God shared with Abraham, there was also a message foretelling doom, foretelling judgment, foretelling justice to be reigned on the ungodly. You and I know that that is what this book contains also. In Luke's Gospel, in the chapter 13, we know that the words of the Lord in verse 28 were, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Mark's Gospel, in the chapter 9, in the verse 43, It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Matthew's Gospel in the chapter 25 and in verse 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We know that that's what the Scripture record contains. We know that is what has been revealed to us as being the plan of God for the ungodly. So as we come to consider this first prayer recorded in Scripture, a prayer referred to as an intercessory prayer, and we identify that the purpose of the prayer, the reason that Abraham felt motivated to pray, was all because of what God had revealed to him as to what was about to unfold in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, there is at this point a real temptation that befalls every preacher. To over-personalize this. But to do so is to do a disservice to the passage. It means that one is only seeking to strong-arm the hearer into a reaction, into a response. Remember what we noted at the beginning of this point. That response would be motivated by fear and guilt then. And God help me not to do that. The reality is that as this prayer unfolds, Abraham never mentioned anyone by name in prayer. He never mentioned the one individual near to his heart who lived in those cities. His prayer was not motivated because of a focus on one individual. His prayer was motivated by compassion. Undoubtedly, Lot was on his mind as he stood before God. But his request was not all about Lot. His request was to see the entire city spared. Read with me in verse 24, it says, Peradventure, there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place, the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom the place, 
fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. So today we deal with the Alpha prayers in the Bible. And as we focus our minds upon this intercessory prayer of the man of God on behalf of the wicked, we do so remembering that we too have received a divine insight from God. A divine insight which reveals to us God's specific intentions for the unrepentant sinner. And I ask you that as you come to the Word of God and as you read the Word of God and as you understand the Word of God and as you hear what God's program is for the ages of what His plan is for all those who remain outside of Him, can I ask you this morning, what is your response? I know among the myriad of responses that could be engaged in May it be said of the people of this church that they drew near and prayed. Tell me this morning, what is the evidence as to the burden upon your heart for the lost men and women of this town? As you come to a place which faithfully declares the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which preaches the whole counsel of God, as you in your own personal devotions make your way from chapter to chapter and understand all that God has planned for the men and women of this town, what is your burden for those who live here? So we leave here today and we join the queue to get to High Street. As we travel along High Street in either direction and behold the men and women who come and go and are carrying on everyday activities just like it was any other day of the week. As perhaps on our way here this morning we saw the leftovers testifying to a night of revelry and sin enjoyed by many. Is our response simply to bemoan the days in which we live? The examples of those who so obviously live without a thought for God or without a care for their soul. Do we see them simply as trees walking? Or do we see them as individual souls for whom Christ died? Abraham here was undoubtedly fully aware of the plight. Fully aware of the plight that lay before a man whom he loved. A family who he cared about. But Abraham here was motivated by a compassion which once again testified that he was in tune with God. That he knew that God was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He knew that when the Lamb would come, then that Lamb would taste death for every man, every woman, and every child. 
believed that that salvation which would be offered because of the ultimate sacrifice for sin would be offered to the whosoever will. And so we come to God's house this morning. We know all that's before those who are outside of of Christ and what God intends to do upon that great judgment day with the sinner. And here we are face to face with an intercessory prayer that is for us a pattern of how we should in our lives pray for the unsaved. Let me ask you again, what is your response? When you sit fully aware of the plight that awaits the men and women, the boys and girls of Lurgan Town. The location of this local assembly of baptized believers that you have either joined or affiliated yourself with. What is your burden for those whom God has called us to live as lights in a dark world amongst? Will you pray? You see, on a thirsty evening, I come and I see room for many more to attend the designated night of prayer in this assembly. I listen and it warms my heart to hear those who pray for lost loved ones. And never may we get to the point where the lost loved ones that are heavy upon our hearts are not named before the Lord in prayer, for that is a worthwhile, that is a necessary activity. Friend, without chiding or rebuking, I simply say I have never heard many prayers for the lost of this town. I don't hear many prayers begging God for a breakthrough in this town. I know that today God would give us a renewed desire to reach this town. To win the lost of this town. To pray to God for a breakthrough, not only in the town, but in the individual lives of the people of this town. Oh, that today that we would recognize that our role as a local assembly to shine as a bright light in this town, to reach the lost of our Jerusalem begins with prayer. And oh, that we would shake off the coolness and the deadness, the emptiness and the hollowness that marks so many of our corporate times of prayer. That we would see a purpose for prayer. That you and I would come together to pray like the lives of the men and women of this time depended upon it. Because they do. I believe that to truly know what it is to wear that burden once more, we need to see ourselves and the people of this time. See, Abraham's coming before the Lord here, and Abraham's fully aware that one choice, one choice could have meant that his life was entirely different. 
You'll remember that there was a strife between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. That strife got to such a point of contention that the decision was made to separate, and so Abraham left the choice with Lot as to what direction he would head off that day. Lot, we know, lifted up his eyes and beheld the well-watered plains. He knew what it was to be enticed by what he could see. And instead of walking by faith, he walked by sight that day, but make no mistake about it. It could have been completely different. The rules could have been reversed. Abraham could have known what it is not to be found where he was there in the presence of God, but he could have known what it was to be found in the gates of the city of Sodom, just as Lot was. Friend, today as we behold the men and women, boys and girls of this town, and we see their lost condition, we see their appetite, their ever-increasing appetite for sin, as we see the wickedness that goes on, and we know that there are many who have no time for the Word of God, who would never venture into an assembly like this, who would never set aside the time to come and to worship God, nor indeed hear the Word of God. Do you not remember that one decision could have made life completely different for you? And does it never hit home that you're here today because someone prayed for you? Because someone in some fellowship somewhere had a desire to pray for the lost, to put into place a program to reach the lost, who knew what it was to go out and to gather in the lost, and you came under the sound of the ministry of the Word of God, whether it be as a child, whether it be as an adult, but you knew what it was to receive the benefit of prayer and to know the benefit of a desire to reach the lost. And if it were not that way, where would you be today? What would you have been doing last night? Where would your family be? The man of God knew all of this, I believe. And he stood before the Lord and he prayed. Paul the Apostle is one who too knew what it was to bear that burden. For he it was who testified in his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He had a desire for those he identified with. He had a desire to, uh, to those that he lived among. He had a desire to those that one day he knew a place amongst. And oh, friend, this morning as we come to consider the purpose of this prayer, the very first prayer that I believe is recorded in the Word of God, we see that that purpose is because of compassion. Compassion for those who were in peril. Compassion for those who faced a sure and a certain doom compassion that they too might know the same privileges, blessings, and deliverance that he is. 
friend, this morning will you pray? Not only motivated by those within your family, but realizing that as a church family, we have a great responsibility to the lost of this town. Could you testify that just like Paul, your heart's desire and pray to, prayer to God for learning is that they might be saved. May God help us. May God renew a right purpose for our prayers. May God place that burden upon our hearts like never before. Because despite what you may think, what we're doing isn't near enough. Father, bless us today. And help us, we pray, to truly lay hold upon thee for those who are lost and dying in their sin. The theme of Scripture has always been that thy people might live as an example, that thy people might live with a love and a heart for others. The burden of New Testament Scripture has always been that the people of God might rescue the perishing and care for the dying. And so, Father, let that be embodied in all that we do. May it be heard in our prayers. May it be seen in our deeds. May it be included in our plans. May it be heavy upon our hearts. Help us to see, O oh Lord, that we have a real opportunity, an open door to make a difference in this generation. Help us to be as Abraham was, men and women who are burdened for the lost. Men and women who have a real desire to pray. A real desire that God might hear. And that God would save. Bless us now in all of our reflections, even around the table. Help us to rejoice in Calvary. For those who depart us, we pray that I was taken to our homes in safety. But Lord, help us to go here, from here today with spiritual eyes and heavy hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Savior, thy dying love, thy givest me. And then once we sing the first verse together.